This is Law Bites, a podcast with Michael Geist. We're beginning a new year, and more than ever, it's important to reaffirm our positive vision for a stronger future together. These are difficult times right now. This is a pivotal moment, not just for our country, but for the whole world. And as we head together into this new sitting of Parliament, we, all of us, we must be ready to meet this moment. My recent year-end in review Law Bites podcast generated some very positive feedback. As it turns out, listeners sometimes like easily accessible updates or previews of what's happening or likely to happen. This year, I plan to add those podcasts to the rotation, starting with this week's look at the upcoming parliamentary session. The House of Commons and Senate returned from a lengthy break this week, and barring an election, which seems very unlikely at this stage, will run into late June with the occasional week or two off. So what lies ahead from a digital policy perspective in the coming months? This podcast is going to take a look specifically at what takes place in the House and Commons and the Senate. That's not to say there isn't a lot of other digital policy that may be happening at the provincial level or within the courts, but I'm going to leave much of that to the side. Perhaps it will be the subject of some future podcasts. So that means looking at legislation that is either before the House or the Senate, likely to come before the House or the Senate, or key policy issues that fall squarely within the federal government's jurisdiction. Let's start with an issue that's been attracting the lion's share of attention over the past week, the Roger Shaw merger. For those that are following the issue, and certainly was well covered in last week's podcast when we talked to Professor Jennifer Quaid, the issue is now in the hands of industry minister, I said minister, Francois-Philippe Champagne. As Professor Quaid suspected, the Federal Court of Appeal didn't take very long in deciding the appeal coming from the Competition Bureau of the Competition Tribunal's denial of its objection to the proposed merger. In fact, the Court of Appeal didn't even want to hear from Rogers in this case. It took little more than a lunch break to come back and rule in favor of Rogers, Rogers, Shaw, and Videotron, as the case may be, and reject the Competition Bureau's concerns or appeal of the tribunal's decision. So that now leaves this merger in Champagne's hands. The CRTC's already looked at the broadcast side of the transaction and granted its approval. The Competition Bureau obviously objected to this merger, but its objections were rejected by the tribunal, whose decision was then upheld by the Federal Court of Appeal. So as I say, that leaves this merger in Champagne's hands. And he has said, at least so far, that he's not in a rush. Now, there was some speculation that he would be, that consistent with the deadline that Rogers had presented, we're seeking a decision to move ahead with this by the end of January, that he would follow suit and provide a decision very quickly. He's indicated, at least in some comments to the press, that he's not in a hurry to come forward with a decision, that he's going to take his time to take a look at it. Now, whether that means that we're in for a long delay or there's just a pro forma kind of delay that allows for a communication strategy for his decision remains to be seen. I think it's fair to say that the running assumption is that he is going to pass this deal. 
He certainly signaled his support for it last fall. And so given some of those signals, given how quickly this has moved through some of the other processes, I think most suspect that he is likely to approve. But that said, the deal is still not popular amongst consumers, better known as voters. Politically, it's only the bloc that's been a vocal supporter. It's been in quite clear alignment with Videotron and certainly throughout hearings that also took place this week at the industry committee over this deal. It was very clear that the bloc was providing strong support for this transaction and frankly, seeking to smear almost anyone that would dare to criticize it. That said, the other opposition parties, both conservatives and the NDP, have been critical of this transaction. And conservative MPs, for example, have issued a public letter quite clearly objecting to the deal, noting their concern that Rogers quite evidently took not the best deal in terms of the amount of money they might receive for the assets being sold, in this case, Freedom Mobile, but rather the deal that they may suspect will result long term in the least amount of competition. Conservative MPs saying that a closer look at how that part of the transaction came about is much needed. The NDP will, of course, focus on what this means from a competition perspective, from a consumer pricing and an affordability perspective. And so if Champagne moves ahead with a deal that's already unpopular with large segments of customers who are directly affected by this, by two opposition parties in the House, at a minimum, he can expect uh, some criticism discussion of this in the House of Commons and will be forever associated with having granted approval to the transaction. So I'll most expect this to happen. It's still not 100% certainty. Somewhat linked to this in terms of what is upcoming is the government's consultation on competition. It runs through the end of February, offering Canadians the chance to sound off on competition law reform. Now, it feels as if the consultation is at least in part a bit of cover for the government. The ability to say, we know you didn't like this outcome, if indeed they do grant approval to the transaction, but part of it has been driven by outdated competition laws. And so one of the solutions is that we may not be able to solve this particular deal, but longer term, we'll be in a position to address some of these concerns if we get competition law right. Now, I think there are bad optics for the government should it approve this deal. I'm not convinced that pointing to potential reforms provide a great deal of cover. At this stage, it seems pretty unlikely that this consultation is going to result in amendments to the legislation, at least in this current parliament. Now, that's not to suggest that people shouldn't participate in this consultation. This genuinely does offer an opportunity to see some changes to the law. But yet government has moved slowly on most legislative policies, most reforms, and the idea that somehow this consultation is quickly going to result in new legislation that gets put before the House and then gets passed strikes me as pretty unlikely. At at a minimum, it would be pretty inconsistent with what we've seen from the government in the past. Now, speaking of reform, one of the other government's big initiatives involves privacy, in particular Bill C-27, which is essentially three bills in one. It's a privacy reform bill that seeks to update PEPIDA, the private sector privacy law. There's the another bill that is, in effect, establishing a privacy tribunal that would create, a, in a sense, a layer between the Privacy Commissioner of Canada and the federal court. And then there is a third bill that involves AI regulation. The AI portion of this bill has proven 
I think it's fair to say, very unpopular, doesn't have many supporters. Those that have been looking for AI regulation feel that it falls far short of expectations, certainly nowhere near what we've seen in some other jurisdictions. And even those in the business community that might have been expected to have provided some amount of support uh, have been largely left on the sidelines here, for the most part, pretty unimpressed with what the government has put forward. It's an AI bill without many specifics, leaving most of the issues, most of the heavy lifting to regulations that are still forthcoming, which makes it pretty tough to support a piece of legislation in which you don't really know much of the regulatory outcomes. All of those are sort of to be determined down the road. Now, the privacy bill also has its fair share of critics. Some are concerned about the creation of a tribunal. Some are concerned with some of the other provisions in the legislation. I have to say that in some ways, none of this really should be rocket science. We've got a model coming out of Europe with the GDPR that we're seeing certainly many other countries seeking to emulate. It's a standard that many certainly multinational companies are familiar with at this stage. It's not clear to me that Canada needs to be rewriting the entire playbook here. There's a, there's a model out there that you can tweak, but by and large, there's a comfort level, at least for many businesses uh, operating on the international stage that They'll, that will look familiar if you adopt a GDPR-style set of rules. Now, even if the government were to move in that direction, and some of C-27 does look that way, though not all of it, the it hasn't prioritized this legislation in any serious way. Many of you will know that this bill actually started as a previous bill, Bill C-11, the former Bill C-11. That bill um, died on the order paper with the election call uh, a year and a half ago, and in fact, was never seen as a serious priority from the government. It's been reintroduced now as C-27. It does fall also under Minister Champagne's um, jurisdiction, and yet it hasn't really moved very far. It's had some debate in the House of Commons. I think there's expectation that there are many more MPs that still want to speak to it. Many saying that it doesn't go far enough, doesn't embed sort of a human rights lens when it comes to protecting privacy. Others expressing concern around some of the administrative frameworks, others pointing to the consent model and having some fears about the approach that's taken there. And yet others focusing on some of the issues around data, data governance and de-identified versus anonymized data. So there's many issues here, and it's one of the reasons why I think many would like to see this bill get to committee where can get witnesses and engage in that kind of debate. From a procedural perspective, it is notable that opposition parties raised the argument successfully that this three-in-one approach of effectively three bills within a single bill really should be split up from a voting perspective, arguing that the AI bill in particular was not directly related to the other portions of the bill, and thus it was appropriate to vote separately on each of those elements of the bill. The Speaker of the House of Commons agreed. And what that is likely to mean is that I think the bill will still get through second reading and get sent to committee. It's going to take, as I suggest, a bit longer than I think many would hope. Part of that is the government just hasn't really allocated the time or the priority to it. But assuming that they get through some of this, certainly uh, within a month or two, one would hope that it gets sent to committee and then the committee would be seized with this with this legislation likely for, for many weeks, potentially months in terms of how long these hearings can last. But yet once it comes back to the House, assuming it does come back to the House, perhaps in some changed form, 
the fact that the opposition has effectively now established a scenario whereby there will be separate votes for each of the bills will allow opposition parties, particularly the NDP, I would think, to support if it wants the privacy aspects of the bill, but reject some of the other elements or reject in particular the AI bill. So what we could see happen is we could see the privacy elements of this bill get passed after committee, but we could see the AI portion defeated in the House of Commons. I suppose at this stage, it still remains to be seen. There is also Bill C-26, which has significant privacy implications associated with it as well. Many of those are associated with telecommunications networks, access-related questions for uh, law enforcement and some of the other agencies within the government. It has, I think, been certainly even further below the radar screen than Bill C-27 has, but we can expect to see it get a bit more attention in the coming weeks. The responsible minister there is Minister Mendicino uh, from Public Safety. He's, I think, begun to recognize some of the public concern or some of the opposition that's been arising associated with this bill and suggested that there is an openness to reform. Now, I know that we have heard that before from government ministers on different bills, but um, there does seem to be some likelihood that the, the concerns associated this, with this bill could be translated into amendments to the bill, either at committee or perhaps even on its way to committee. In addition to all of these privacy-related reforms currently before the House, there is, of course, also a whole series of legislative initiatives that fall under Canadian Heritage's responsibility right now. Uh, I've made the argument elsewhere that industry should be more involved, and, and they haven't been. But as it stands now, responsibility for bills like Bill C-11, Bill C-18, and online harms all are being led by Canadian Heritage. So where do each of these stand? Let's start with C-11. Now, just before the break in December, the Senate committee that was studying this bill and spent months studying Bill C-11, this, of course, is the Broadcasting Act reform bill that has attracted an enormous amount of attention and no shortage of controversy based in large measure on provisions that bring in user content into the regulatory ambit of the CRTC. Senate committee spent many months conducting hearings on this bill. Uh, they then adopted a whole series, a couple dozen of amendments to that legislation, including some changes that would go a long way to addressing some of the concerns associated with user content. And it now awaits the final vote in the Senate. And because it's been amended at the Senate, it will go back to the House. And so at the stage there's some amount of uncertainty as to how the government will respond. I think the expectation is that the bill will pass as amended from the committee within the Senate, although that is still by no means 100 percent certain. But once it gets sent back to the House, will the House accept all of the changes? Will it accept some of the changes? Will it send it back to the Senate or simply have the expectation that whatever it chooses at that stage is what goes? Um, all of that remains to be seen. And so far, anyway, the government hasn't really tipped off where it stands. I think this will be a, a, an important litmus test in many ways for the government's rhetoric around consultation, sober second thought, and a desire to get the legislation right. There are provisions that have been amended that 
are going to attract and should attract some criticism within C11. But on some of the ones that have been the source of deep concern for many communities and were the source of deep concern for many witnesses, there was, I think, a genuine effort from the Senate to strike a balance, to address some of those specific concerns, while at the same time preserving some of the powers that the government has said that it wants. If even that reasonable compromise is not sufficient, then it tells us that the government's claims that user content is out and somehow this is uh, those that think otherwise, you know, simply have no credibility anymore whatsoever. Um, in fact, we've had independent senators who arrived at the conclusion that indeed user content is captured and there was an attempt to try to address those issues. The government still insists on regulating. Then I think you have to reach the conclusion that it is by design. It's not an accident. It's not an oversight. It's not a difference of opinion around uh, how the def how the legislation is drafted. It is simply the intent to regulate this kind of content. And as I say, we will see um, how the government in particular reacts, I suppose, both with this final blow to the Senate, but even more uh, once it returns to the House, because there are enough changes, some of which have been approved by the government itself. Or there's been signals of approval from the government that it seems very likely that indeed it will head back to the house as for bill c18 this is the online news bill it seeks to compel two companies in particular facebook or meta and google to negotiate agreements with with news publishers that bill has passed through the house of commons it did so in the very last week before the house of commons rose for the winter break and so it now heads to the senate I think the expectation at this stage is that the same Senate committee, Transport and Communications, that conducted the extensive hearings on Bill C-11 will similarly conduct extensive, perhaps not as extensive, but still extensive hearings on C-18. And in many ways, this, this really does feel like a sequel, especially with respect to how the C-18 hearings were conducted in the House, much like in C-11 where there was considerable criticism about the limited number of witnesses, the the lack of almost really inquisitiveness from MPs to actually understand the implications of the legislation and, and try to make sure that it's the best bill possible. That was a source of criticism with respect to C-11. The same criticisms will apply with respect to C-18. And so there is certainly space to expand the hearings to bring more witnesses, many of whom were not heard in the House, and ensure that this bill gets uh, a better hearing in the Senate and perhaps much like C-11, also engage in some reforms that address some of the significant concerns associated with that bill. The third piece of legislation is not a piece of legislation yet, but is certainly expected in the coming weeks, perhaps as soon as February. Uh, but certainly, I think, before, at least here in Ottawa, the snow is gone, it seems likely that we will get an online harms or what the government is likely to call an online safety bill. There is some expectation that this will be a pretty large piece of legislation bringing together a number of strands. The old C-36 that the government had previously introduced in the waning hours of uh, a prior government, then now expanding into any number of online harms issues. Now, over the last number of months, we've seen any number of questions associated with the consultations that the government has conducted based on access to information requests, highlighting the government even sought to exclude, in some instances, uh, contrary voices from its consultation. But regardless of how it got there, we can expect that we will see some form of legislation. I think there is a general expectation that 
some of the sources that were the subject of the most amount of criticism, things like 24-hour takedown requirements that we saw in, at least in a prior consultation, may be removed. And instead, we'll have something that looks a bit more like what we started to see in the UK around duties to act responsibly, for example, for platforms. So some potential liability, some greater heightened responsibility for platforms that may satisfy some, that may leave others still unsatisfied about how far the legislation goes. But regardless, we can definitely expect the online safety bill to come. And you know, now that C11 and C18 are by and large out of the house, although C11, as I say, may be returning, that will be presumably the focal point coming out of Department of Canadian Heritage. Another area of potential focus for Canadian Heritage is copyright. And that's an area of joint responsibility, both for heritage as well as industry. As I said, there are a number of potential reforms. Now, one of them just happened. That would be copyright term extension, which was buried in an omnibus budget bill last year. And very quietly, it took effect at the end of last year. In fact, there have been any number of news stories in the month of January as people woke up to the fact that Canada's copyright public domain will have no new works enter into the public domain for the next 20 years. Um, more on that issue in an upcoming episode of Law Bites. Um, but for the moment, it's done, and it's not clear that there is much, if any, willingness on the part of the government to mitigate against some of the very obvious harms that this term extension creates. There are also at least a couple of private members' bills that are worth keeping an eye on. Both involve creating new exceptions to the anti-circumvention rules, the so-called digital lock rules. And Canadian system established back in 2012 has a series of exceptions. It's been open to the government by way of regulation to add additional exceptions around these anti-circumvention rules. So we have exceptions, for example, for privacy and um, for a number on a number of other issues. These pieces of legislation basically say that the government's had quite literally a decade to do something about some of the ongoing concerns about overly restrictive anti-circumvention rules and has consistently failed to move forward with that. Note that that cuts across party lines. That would be both the conservatives when they were in power and more recently, for obviously, for the liberals in power. And so these private members bills, one introduced by a conservative, one introduced by a liberal, have enjoyed support in the House and are currently being studied at committee. One involves a specific exception for interoperability that expands the approach with respect to interoperability, and the other would create an exception for a right to repair. This has been a major issue, especially within the farming and agriculture community, who often find that some of their equipment can't be tinkered with due to some of this legislation. I know that doesn't sound like it has anything that... Has, I know it, that doesn't sound like it has anything to do with copyright, and it shouldn't, um, but yet effectively the way the legislation is drafted, it can. And so this is designed to address some of those kinds of concerns. It has certainly support from those communities, objections certainly from certain businesses that have benefited from restrictions in what people can do with their products and the like. And we'll see how, how, that, how that lines up. There is always the possibility of other kinds of reform, certainly been a lot of lobbying from publisher groups to effectively get the government to overturn repeated decisions that have come from the Supreme Court of Canada around fair dealing, um, whether or not the government is willing to throw out 20 years now of very strong, very clear-cut rulings that have come from Canada's highest court, not to mention 
the the balance, the effective true balance that has been struck when it comes to fair dealing and the growth, the enormous growth of licensing that has in fact taken place on campuses within education uh, is a, is remains to be seen. But obviously, there is considerable amount of lobbying seeking to pressure the government to do so. In addition, there may well be pressure to introduce new exceptions that deal specifically around innovation, especially AI. You know, ChatGPT is on the minds of a lot of people right now. And these new kinds of AI technologies that rely upon enormous databases of data, not to republish them, but rather to learn from them in a manner that will make them smarter and more useful. Canada at the moment does not have copyright laws that necessarily allow for some of these activities, or at least you're on slightly more perilous ground, especially if this takes place in a, more, in a commercial setting, which is one of the reasons why you tend to see more of this activity taking place elsewhere, such as in the United States, or even most recently in Israel, which whose Department of Justice released a recently released uh, an analysis in which it concluded that this sort of activity is covered by fair use or fair dealing. We'll have to see if we get the same interpretation in Canada, where fair dealing does enjoy a large and liberal interpretation, but the government could always step in as part of its effort to address AI and become a leader in AI and ensure that any concerns that might exist around an overly restrictive system can be addressed. There is also a Senate bill dealing with access to online pornography that would establish age verification requirements that has made it through committee. It's not entirely clear if it will make it through the Senate, although there seems to be a reasonable chance that it will. And if it does, it will make it to the House. And uh, this is, I think, uh, going to be a very controversial bill. It's unusual in the sense that it's a bill that starts in the Senate, makes its way through the House. It's not a bill that started with the government, started instead with uh, Senator Maville Deschain. And it remains to be seen where that bill goes. Uh, but if it does make its way to the House, you can expect to hear a fair amount of discussion about it. On the one hand, politicians don't want to be seen to be supporting underage access to pornography. On the other hand, the implications of this kind of regulatory framework, particularly given the way the legislation is drafted in a manner that it would capture not just obvious pornography sites, but a wide range of other services where pornography might be accessible, uh, really will have enormous implications should it actually become law. Two other issues that I wanted to touch on before wrapping up. One is tax, and in particular, the imposition of a new digital services tax, a DST. It's an issue that has been covered on several occasions in the past on this podcast. The issue continues to percolate. And if Canada is to move ahead with this, and there's reasons to believe that it will, we can expect to see clear legislation with that regard this year. Um, it, in all likelihood, would come in the budget and perhaps once again in a budget implementation bill and is sure to draw the ire of the United States in doing so. So we'll keep an eye certainly on that. It's, as I say, should the government be moving ahead with it and I think it's generally understood that the finance minister, Krista Freeland, is anxious to do so. Uh, we're going to see something uh, coming in the spring and all likelihood coming as part of the budget. And finally, I mentioned that it'll draw the ire certainly of, of the U.S. or at least some of the large tech companies. In a sense, what we have seen, especially in recent weeks, is an escalation of U.S. concern around the digital agenda that I've just described. Not on all issues, to be sure. You haven't seen them say very much, for example, about privacy or about Canada's wireless system or copyright, for that matter. 
but they have focused very much on bills C-11, C-18, and on digital sales taxes. In fact, it has now been raised repeatedly, as recently as this past week, uh, by the U.S. trade representative, so that would be the department responsible for trade in the United States, with their counterparts in Canada. So they have raised concerns that these provisions, both the implications of tax as well as the prospect that C-11 and C-18 could be seen to discriminate against U.S. entities in violation of the Canada-U.S.-Mexico trade agreement. And it's gone even beyond just the USTR. The issue has now caught the attention of U.S. senators as well, where two senators, one Republican, one Democrat, wrote to the USTR to express similar kinds of concerns. In other words, we're seeing this now at the USTR level, which would can be seen as as, as promoting the, the views or concerns of the administration, the U.S. administration. And we have now also seen this issue picked up uh, within the U.S. Senate. It is not going away. Canadian responses to suggest that we're good actors and that it's unlikely that the U.S. would retaliate. The longer this festers, the more that we see these issues raised, the more likely it is that it will continue and the pressure uh, will mount on Canada. And of course, should it escalate to the point of actual retaliation, it is worth noting that especially in the context of Bill C-11, it is open for Canada to discriminate in a cultural sector, but the door is open for the United States to retaliate, and it can retaliate in an equal amount in whatever sector it likes. So it's not limited just to the cultural sector. It can go for whatever sensitive sector it wants. So if it wants to increase tariffs in retaliation, let's say, against the dairy sector coming out of Quebec, or it wants to target steel, or it wants to target lumber, it can really pick its spots and try to exact as much pain on the Canadian economy, both from an economic perspective and from a political perspective as possible. And so these are, I think, real threats. There have been attempts to downplay them. The policies that we see being adopted here could have some of these real-world implications. So a lot is going to happen in Parliament in the months ahead, both in the House and the Senate, uh, within policy development, within the federal government, as well as within its relations with leading trading partners such as the United States. Digital policy, I suppose unsurprisingly, has emerged as one of the lead issues for this government. It doesn't always attract the same sort of attention that, that other critical issues do. But as you can see, just from the sheer number of bills and other issues and their direct impact on so many Canadians, digital policies are increasingly one of the top line issues for this government. It's why I thought it's worth taking a look at what may lie ahead in the coming months. And you can be sure that in those months ahead, I'll continue to cover these issues, of course, both on the podcast, my own blog, on Substack, and in social media. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time. That's the Law Bites podcast for this week. If you have comments, suggestions, or other feedback, write to lawbites at pobox.com. Follow the podcast on Twitter at lawbitespod or Michael Geist at mgeist. You can download the latest episodes from my website at michaelgeist.ca or subscribe via RSS at Apple Podcast, Google, or Spotify. The Law Bites podcast is produced by Gerardo LeBron LeBoy. Music by the LeBoy brothers, Gerardo and Jose LeBron LeBoy. Credit information for the clips featured in this podcast can be found in the show notes for this episode at michaelgeist.ca. I'm Michael Geist. Thanks for listening and see you next time.